Coming Back is a listener-supported podcast. To support the show and get exclusive access to podcast swag, giveaways, private grief hangouts, and more, head on over to patreon.com slash shelbyforsythia. Support the show for as little as $1 per month and change or cancel your support at any time. Thank you so much for listening. Grief Growers, I am also setting sail on the 2019 Bereavement Cruise to join me and a boatload of other grieving hearts as we travel to Haiti, Jamaica, and Mexico. Go to www.comingbackcruise.com where you can sign up to receive more information on the cruise's sail dates, grief presenters, and onboard activities. I'll see you on the open seas. Hi there, and welcome to Coming Back, a podcast about coming back to life after loss. On today's show, I'm talking to Linda Shadolin Fell, an empowerment coach, author, and speaker who had a dream about her daughter's death two years before she died. Also in the show today, I'm inviting you to my next Google Hangout, where we'll be sharing stories, ideas, and questions on how to survive grief during the holidays. I'm Shelby Forsythia, an intuitive grief guide who speaks, writes, and teaches powerful truths on grief and loss. My mom's death in 2013 set me on the path to becoming a lifelong student of grief, and I use what I learned to equip others with the knowledge to heal and remind them that they are not alone. Because even through grief, we are growing. Let's get started. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Coming Back. I am so glad that you're here listening today. So the day of release for this show is Halloween in the United States and a couple other places in the world, I believe. And with the close of October and the beginning of November, I want to address a big fear that's either suddenly appearing or uh, creeping up on your horizon. And that is the holidays. Grief growers, the holidays are coming. And I want to say hello, and I see you, and I'm breathing with you, and they are hard for me too. So for those of you listening to the podcast for the very first time, I'll share with you that my mom died the day after Christmas in 2013. My entire lost story is peppered with holiday carols and Merry Christmas texts and Macy's advertisements, and the holidays are just a wild time in general, to be alive and grieving. So much of the joy and the merriment and the desire to participate is lost when we're grieving. And even more than that, the absence of the people that we have lost seems so much larger, just so monumental when the holidays roll around. It's what What's Your Grief calls uh, empty chair syndrome. There's literally this sense or a literal fact that there is an empty chair in the home or in the gathering where there should be or would have been someone sitting there. This month, I want to invite all of you to my Patreon Google Hangout to share stories and ideas and questions on surviving the holidays or how you'd like to navigate the holidays with grief this year. Of course, I always invite you grief growers to my monthly Patreon Hangouts, but this one is special because it's leading up to a season that can be especially hard on our grieving hearts. Holidays are hard anyway, because, you know, we have to juggle getting groceries and cooking a meal and planning for family to come in and taking trips with them and, you know, doing outings and festivals and religious gatherings and all this other stuff. And then on top of that, grief shows up. And so for the month of November, I have set our Google Hangout to talk explicitly about the holidays. And that's going to be on Monday, November 19th at eight o'clock PM central time. And this is the Monday before Thanksgiving. So it's kind of before everything really goes into full swing. You can pledge to join us and support this show for as little as $1 per month. This is what I always say at the top of every show. And of course, of course, of course, you can change or cancel that support at any time. The link to pledge is patreon.com slash Shelby for Scythia. And this link is always 
is going to be in the show notes for you grief growers. So if I read it off too fast, or you're wondering how to spell my name, uh, it's in the show notes for this episode and on my website as well. And once you've pledged on Patreon, once your pledge has gone through, all you have to do is click the link I'll share with you in a private Patreon message the day of the live broadcast. And you can hop into the hangout via voice only or chat only or voice and video. You can think of it as a giant Skype call full of grief growers. And especially as we lean into the holiday season, as we kind of start to look towards the end of the year and into that direction, I would absolutely love to have you there. If you can't make it to the call, Grief Growers, you are always, always welcome to join us for free in the Grief Growers Garden, which is my private Facebook group for listeners of this podcast. As the holidays draw closer, of course, we'll be sharing stories and tips and, uh, and, and just questions about making it through and honoring the people that we've lost. And you are always welcome to ask questions and share memories and reach out for help on hard days. I've actually done all three of these things uh, in the Grief Growers Garden, and you are encouraged to do the same. Our losses in the group are different. The people we've lost are different. The lives we've lived are different. But I believe and through doing this show, I have seen that our ability to listen and to empathize and to respond is exactly the same. So yeah, that's what I've got for you this week, grief growers. If you are dressing up for Halloween today. I bet you look super cute and or scary, whichever one you're going for. And I hope you get your favorite candy in your trick-or-treat bag. So there's a little mini blessing there. If you were like me and Halloween scares the crap out of you, uh, I hope this day passes easy and that no one jumps out at you. (laughs) Um, That's another blessing for you this week. So tomorrow marks November 1st and the tilt into the holiday season. Keep breathing. Grief growers, I am with you and so is every other spirit listening to this show today. Join me Monday, November 19th, to share your thoughts on your grief and the upcoming holiday season. There is absolutely, unfortunately, no getting around it, but we can certainly walk each other through it. It's not impossible. Next up, I'm talking to Linda Sheldon Fell, who found herself suddenly wearing grief shoes when she lost her daughter in a car accident. Linda Sheldon Fell is a professional empowerment coach, educator, and internationally best-selling author of over 30 books, including the award-winning Grief Diary series featuring stories of grief and hope by writers across 11 countries. She is co-founder of the International Grief Institute and hosts the weekly Facebook show called Moments of Hope, which I starred on two weeks ago. Linda has earned four National Literary Awards and five National Advocacy Award nominations for her work. You can learn more at www.lindafell.com. Linda, thank you so much for joining us on the show. I'm so excited to hear your story and hear more about Grief Diaries, which is actually how I came to know you pre-Bereavement Cruise. But if you could please uh, start us off with your lost story today. So my story begins in 2007 when I had a terrible dream of our daughter, our third born, uh, died as a backseat passenger in a car that flew off the road into a lake and she sank with the car and I was devastated by it. And two years later, that dream became a real living nightmare when she died as a backseat passenger in a car coming home from a swim meet. And she was 15 years old at the time. And uh, we had an older daughter and an older son and a younger son. So she was number three out of four. And it absolutely just uh, shattered our family. We had never been through any kind of hardship up till that point. And uh, I just remember feeling shocked and absolutely uh, numb and a pain so deep. There were no words to describe it. And it felt like a a language that you can't teach people. It's something that has to be experienced for the sheer depth of it to be fully understood. And just when I felt like I was finding my footing in life, uh, my husband 
uh, 46 years old at the time. He really had buried his grief. He was trying to be strong for me and the family. And uh, he just absolutely buried his grief. And as a result, he suffered a, a disabling stroke. And once again, my world just, uh, it was like the, you know, the world had pulled the rug out from underneath me a second time. And um, that is where my grief began, uh, first with losing our daughter and then with my husband's devastating stroke. I'm kind of sitting absorbing this and drawing parallels to my own story because so often I write that, you know, the first good chunk of my life was like idyllic. Everything kind of went well. I was on this linear path and everything was unfolding, uh, quote unquote, like it's supposed to. And then when grief finally did hit, it hit so close to home that everything just blew wide open. You know, that is how grief works. When you have a profound loss, it, it touches every part of your universe. No part is spared. And I think that is one of the hardest things to wrap your brain around when you haven't faced loss is that we think of it, uh, you know, like an injury that heals with time. And grief is not something that heals. It is something you learn to, you know, move forward with it in your heart. And you're a changed person. It changes you entirely. And, you know, it's again, it's something that is so hard to understand until you find yourself beginning that that journey on your own. It's um, such a tough thing to walk through and experience firsthand. I kind of want to explore your point of grief ripples out and affects everything. And the question that's coming to mind for me right now is, I guess, what area of your life were you most surprised or kind of even annoyed that grief was infiltrating, for lack of better phrasing? You know, I think truthfully, it, it wasn't even irritation. It was just such profound shock and such profound sadness. And to discover that grief is not merely a loss of, you know, someone you love, but that it absolutely reframes every part of your life, your whole being changes, the core of your essence changes. That is how deep, you know, grief goes. And so was there one part where I was most annoyed or irritated at? You know, I think that if I have to put it in that context, I think what surprised me the most was how it changed my relationships, uh, friends, uh, friends that I had known for a very long time, uh, they fell away. But on the other side of that, I also formed friendships with people that uh, were unexpected. And that's a beautiful collateral blessing that comes from grief. And so the, the answer to that is the, you know, losing friendships um, and relationships that you didn't expect to lose, but then also gaining uh, something that you didn't expect to gain. That's something that I hear quite a bit on coming back in terms of the thing that was most surprising because when grief happens, especially in books and in movies, there's all these pictures of our closest friends all swooping into our aid. And sometimes an additional layered loss on top of like the biggie, the big loss is losing a lot of these close friends. And then there are other people that kind of step up, not necessarily into those roles, but as other legs of the table, other support systems for you, but, but it's unexpected. It's never as, um, as whole as it's portrayed in the media as a process. You know, and I think that that is uh, sad. I, I would love for them to do a better job because on some level it's doing our society a disservice because we have, uh, you know, in the movies, we have this death and you see maybe one or two cuts of the loved ones crying or feeling sad, and then they've moved on. And, you know, it, it, so it paints this picture that for those of us that don't find our footing within one to two cuts or, you know, one to two weeks or one to two months even, uh, that somehow we are, you know, wallowing in our own sadness or, um, you know, 
we like the the spotlight that brings us or you know it, it just really leaves such an unfair picture of what grief really does to your whole world and so i would love to see it more adequately portrayed in the movies because I, I think that that just does everyone a, a you know detriment to um what grief really is about yeah, 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 yeah. I, that's something I refer to as the curse of moving on in 90 minutes. <laughs> Not wrong. Yeah, yeah. That's pretty much how most people think it is. And and I, I think that that's partly what inspired me to work in the bereavement field was because I saw that and it was so far from reality, so far from the truth that I thought that if we don't do something about it in this generation, future generations are going to inherit the same myths about grief. And so we have to do something that helps to open that dialogue and educate people that, you know, here's what, here's the truth about grief. Here's how it changes your entire world. And for some people, that's not entirely true. If they've had a second degree loss or the the hardest loss they've ever had is a loss that is one that is easily recoverable from, um, then, you know, they might not ever have the same experience that those of us who face a profound loss. You know, loss of a parent can be shattering. Loss of a child can be shattering. Loss of a spouse can be shattering. A sibling, um, you know, those are ones that change your whole world. And uh, we certainly don't come back in 90 minutes. And some people never come back at all. Yes. Or, or when, when we do come back, we are different. We never come back to ourselves how we used to be. We come right. back We're to different people. Oh, yeah. Oh, my gosh. I love that. Oh, it's like software. Yeah. Shelby 2.0. Linda <laughs> 2.0. Oh, my gosh. I have never heard that. I've loved that so much. Yeah, it fits, doesn't it? And, but the truth is, is that with the 2.0 version, and the reason I say that is I remember early on one of my dearest friends uh, who sat with me quite a bit in the aftermath. She knew our daughter very well. And she said to me, uh, this was very early on after losing our daughter, Allie. And she said to me, she said, I'm waiting for the old Linda to come back. And I've never forgotten her words because I wondered, when am I going to come back? Am I ever going to come back? Because at that moment, I was so in my head of pain. You know, I truly had pain brain where you've got tunnel vision, you've got auditory exclusion. The world was in, you know, had been robbed of my technicolor. And so I didn't even know what, well, would Linda even come back? And the truth is, is that over time, as I reassembled the, the, you know, pieces of my shattered world and, and put them back into something that was, um, you know, functional, um, I discovered that the new me was actually a much better version of myself. And that's something that I want to plant as a seed in people's hearts is that don't be afraid of what the future looks like without your loved one in terms of will you ever feel unbroken again because the new version of yourself that rises from the ashes can actually be beautiful you know it's a it's a collateral blessings that come from loss silver linings that you don't expect from such deep pain I love that phrase collateral blessings because we're so used to hearing the phrase collateral damage, uh, the, the, all the things that get destroyed in the aftermath of loss. And so to hear that there are things like collateral blessings, things that come that are good or unexpected or surprising or even positive in the aftermath of loss is as somebody who's been through loss, that's something that's still comforting for me to hear five years later. Um, so I hope grief growers, you're listening to that one this afternoon. I actually want to revisit uh, something that you mentioned earlier about getting involved in bereavement for the sake of future generations. And I kind of want to construct a miniature timeline of your relationship with grief in this moment. Um, I'm wondering how you were raised to perceive, think about, talk about grief, how you interacted with grief 
pre the loss of your daughter and your husband's stroke and kind of how grief transformed your relationship with your children in grief, friends in grief, and then how you teach grief going forward. What are you teaching the future generations about grief? Well, you know, I had a very idyllic life up until we lost Allie. And I I was one of five kids, uh, a close knit, loving family. And my husband and I had four children. And, you know, my husband is my best friend. And raising our kids were very close to him. And so grief was not part of my world. It truly wasn't. And what I didn't know is that it, it, it was part of other people's world. And so it made me very uncomfortable. I didn't like going to funerals. Um, I was one of those people who just really didn't know what to do with it, found it very awkward. And when I suddenly found myself wearing grief shoes, it was such a shock. And part of it is back in high school, I did a project on Elizabeth Kubler-Ross about uh, grieving and, you know, death and dying. And Elizabeth Kubler-Ross, of course, is an iconic woman who pioneered our many of the foundations of our, our current beliefs about death and grief. What was interesting is she modeled the five stages of grief. And that's what most people know her for. But she had actually modeled that for patients who were dying of a terminal illness. And unfortunately, the media got hold of it and they applied it to the loved ones left behind. And hence, it became a model of five stages of grief for everyone. And Elizabeth Kubler-Ross herself tried to undo that with the media. And unfortunately, it stuck. And so when we lost Allie, I expected myself to go through five neat and tidy stages of grief because that's what I had believed was what happened and not having experienced it before. And so when I didn't experience grief that way, because my stages were far more than five and they were not in order, they were a hot mess. And so I felt like I was failing grief. And now I, you know, I, I, it's, it's, I'm very passionate about helping people to understand that grief is life changing and it's okay to not be okay, but you will once again, eventually be okay. And so I give them hope that you're not doing grief wrong and eventually it won't always feel so raw. I'm writing down as you're speaking, you are not failing at grief because you're not following the five stages. And I think that's something that's still so pervasive. And this is where we revisit, you know, media and movies and television and magazines and all this other stuff again of they latch onto one thing. And we, I would love if grief were neat and structured. (laughs) Don't get me wrong. I would love for it to just show up and be like, okay, I'm in this stage for two months and this one for four and And this one for a year and then blah, blah, blah. And then you tie a bow on it and it's all done in 90 minutes. That's right. Um, and, uh, and I, I just love, I'm, I keep writing down things that you say because you have these, um, these tidbits of, of things that you phrase a certain way. And this feeling of failing at grief is just another layer that I feel like gets heaped onto the already heavy, heavy package that grief puts on our doorstep. And we're like, oh, on top of all this crap you have to deal with emotionally and physically and mentally and spiritually, you have to deal with the fact that you think you're doing it all wrong. Yep. Also. Yep. And uh, and that's something that so many people experience, but they struggle so much to put words to. So I just thank you for for saying it and succinctly, and it was perfect. I was like, that's another thing that I wish that I had heard in the aftermath of my own loss. Um, I want to shift gears a little bit and talk about what exactly you do in the world. What is your work with bereavement, including how you got started with the Grief Diaries, which is how I first heard your name, uh, actually through fellow Bereavement Cruise presenter, uh, Sharon Ellers, who does Grief Reiki. Um, but but you seem to have your hands in a lot of different projects, and they're all hyper-impactful in the world of grief. 
Well, okay. <laughs> so it's true. I have my hand in a lot of projects, but it, 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 you know, it wasn't by design. A lot of that was happenstance. And I, I want to go back to, um, you know, what, what called me to serve in this field because no child ever says they want to grow up to work in the bereavement field, right? It, <laughs> they do not <laughs> offer PhDs from in bereavement. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You know, and so most of us who find ourselves working in this field, it's because we're following a, a passion uh, and wanting to be part of the movement of making change. And, and so how I found myself here is that I had two gems, two nuggets of wisdom that I discovered very early on. And the first one is that I discovered that not all grievers had the support that I was blessed with. I was blessed with an abundance of support. People surrounded my family and held that sacred space. And that gave us the love that we needed to, to find our way knowing that we were, um, it was understood that we were just broken and it was okay to just be broken. But I discovered not everyone has that. And quite a few bereaved individuals don't have any support at all, even from family members. There's a, a lot of them that says, okay, you're, you know, you're, you're now, you know, two years out, you should be, you know, dating, you know, or this or that. I often hear that, you know, that's one of the first things you hear uh, for people who've lost a spouse, when are you going to start dating, you know, that kind of thing. And, and so when I realized that not all, all grievers had the support I had, um, that was the first seed planted in my heart. The second one was that I, dis- I discovered that helping others help my own heart to heal. And so the pairing of those two seeds became a very powerful balm for my heart. And they also became the catalyst of, of that birthed this passion to make a difference because many people don't have support. And it was painful enough to find my way surrounded by an abundance of support I could not imagine what it was like for those who didn't have any. And when I realized that if I put my arms around them to hold them, something shifted in my own heart and it helped my own heart to heal. And so that is those two little gems, those two little nuggets are what called me to serve in this field. And how Grief Diaries came about, just my little, um, you know, my quick little version of it. I won't give you the whole nine months. I'll just give you the birth. I, in 2013, I was invited to share my story in a book that was being published out of London. And the book was about women who had been through hardship and had found their footing. And so not only did were we tasked with writing our story, we were tasked with giving the reader five takeaways. And that was the hardest part for me. What could I offer? But it made me also examine the different parts of my journey because I was tasked with, you know, coming up with five takeaways that they could then apply to their own life. And that book, when it was published and and came out, it hit number one on Amazon in three different categories in three different countries. And so that, um, I, I, that was when I became an international bestselling author. And from there I founded my own media company and I, I created grief diaries radio because I felt like grief needed a voice. If we were going to collectively make change so that future generations didn't continue to believe that there's five neat and tidy stages to grief, it was up to us to do something about it. So I created Grief Diaries Radio, and then I created a live show where I went around the nation interviewing different people. And, uh, and then once they were uh, aired live, then they were turned into YouTube uh, videos. And from there, I went on to found the International Grief and Hope Convention in 2015. And 
that was a, a three-day weekend. Uh, we had, I want to say, 12 speakers, um, you know, some really, really cool speakers. Martin Luther King's daughter, Heaven is for Real, uh, Pastor Todd Burpo, um, O.J. Simpson's former sister-in-law, uh, Tanya Brown, some really incredible, empowering speakers. And as my husband and I flew out from there, I thought, what am I going to do with all these stories that I heard? Because, you know, people who are complete strangers came together and discovered commonality through their grief. They would say, I lost my child this day. And, oh, I lost my child that same day, too. I mean, who would have thought? And so the idea for uh, putting all these stories into a a book series uh, was my solution to that. And, of course, it was named Grief Diaries. And um, it's it it really I've got over 700 writers in 11 countries. We've published over 30 books. And uh, it's it's just incredible, very empowering for these people. And it it heals both reader and writer. So um, I feel very blessed to have, you know, have done that. I think that's so neat that you said it heals both reader and writer because that's an experience that I've had as well. I, um, I posted something on my Instagram a couple of weeks ago about producing coming back as a podcast. And, you know, I'm at a point in time in my life where I'm working on my own book and, you know, there's lots of things going on in my personal life and I got a promotion at work. So things are just really busy. Things are really busy. And, uh, doing a podcast, I'm sure, as you know, doing something in broadcasting is almost like having another relationship on the side because you have to continue to keep showing up for it on a consistent basis, uh, (laughs) releasing every Wednesday at 1230 AM. And, uh, and, uh, it, it was one of those posts where I stubbornly going to keep showing up for this because when I show up for this work, I'm also showing up for my own grief. So as I record the podcast for all of you to listen to, I am also speaking to parts of me that have not yet seen or known healing. And that's kind of cool. And and that occurs in my writing as well. And it's what you said earlier, uh, helping others helps yourself. And it's such so many cliches get tossed around in the world of grief. But I think this one is one that has a core of truth in it. This isn't, you know, she's in a better place. This is, um, this is taking action to remind somebody else that they're not alone also reminds you that you aren't alone. And it's almost like that connection is, is a remedy or a balm for the loneliness and the isolation that grief tends to produce. Very true. Very true. Um, and, and it's true, you know, helping others to help your own heart to heal can be applied to many things in life. And, you know, many people are, are caught up in their own head, uh, that, that pain brain, and where you've got just that tunnel vision, and you're only aware of your own little world. And when you help others, you go outside your world, and you realize you're not alone. Everyone has some form of grief one way or another, and you can't compare grief, but you realize that, you know, let's say you go out and you help someone, you help the homeless, you feed them in a soup kitchen. Uh, You realize that, sure, you have a profound loss and you can't get that person back into your life in a living way ever again. It's, um, you're now connected through the heart. And, uh, you know, you'd give anything just to, uh, you know, kiss them on the cheek once again or give them a hug. But when you go in and help others, such as, you know, the homeless people, you realize you're not the only one who's suffering. And that helps to remove that sense of isolation. It helps you to feel less alone. And that's pretty empowering. Yeah, yeah, I think that's, yeah, very well said. There is power in recognizing that you are not alone in this. That you're not the only one suffering. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Um, I'm actually reading at the moment. I think I just posted this on my Instagram. I'm talking a lot about my Instagram today. (laughs) Um, I'm reading right now. uh, I don't don't know how to pronounce her name. Her name is Sue Klebold or Klebold. She's the mother of Dylan Klebold, who was one of the shooters and one of the victims in the Columbine massacre. I'm reading Mm. her memoir at the moment. And she shares this incredible kind of story of the Buddha, but she's talking about once 
she, you know, entered this whirlwind of, I am the mother of a murderer. Um, people kept telling her these, these stories and these fables. And one that she clung to was one of the Buddha where this woman had lost a child and she was grieving the loss of this child and couldn't believe it had happened to her and just kind of soaking and marinating in, in misery. And he said, I'll tell you the cure for your misery. And he said, but first you must go to the homes of five different people. You must knock on all the doors you can and collect five mustard seeds. And, but they must all be from the homes of people who have never suffered. And Every, every single door that she knocked on and opened, she said, hi, I'm here collecting mustard seeds. Have you experienced a loss in your life? And she couldn't collect a single one. And what she realized is not that there was a cure for the pain that she was feeling, but that there was no one that surrounded her who was not also suffering in some way or had not lost someone meaningful to them. And uh, and it was it was just an, an interesting tidbit in this book and an interesting you know, myth or fable or, or a story that exists out in the world. But I was like, if that isn't the truth, we go searching for fixes and cures and answers and solutions to grief, which is not really a, a thing that can be fixed or solutioned or, or cured away. Um, something you said earlier in the show, grief is not something that heals. It's something that you take with you, you take forward. Right, right. It becomes part of the tapestry of your heart. And, and I think, you know, in referencing early on in the conversation about the different myths out there, um, you know, many people who have not experienced that grief feel that it's something that is curable. And, uh, you know, again, like a broken leg, and you'll be back to your old self, you know, in, in a year or what have you. And the truth is, is that especially when you face a traumatic loss, and, and a traumatic loss is one where, uh, you know, it was sudden, unexpected, a, a, a traumatic type of death. Um, it, I don't remember the first two and a half years. I, I really don't, because that's what your brain goes through. Your brain is flooded with that fight or flight hormones that, you know, we all have. But the problem with a traumatic loss is that your brain is flooded with that, not just for a moment as it's designed for, but for, you know, it, it takes you, um, you're, you're in fear for quite a while, you're in, you know, shock and such. And so what it does is it numbs other parts of your brain. And that's where you get that tunnel vision, uh, auditory exclusion, and, and um, things come back like a strobe light rather than a storyline. And, uh, and so, and, and, you know, people who think that uh, we get over it, it's, it's something that we learn to move forward with. The rawness does soften with time, and our coping skills strengthen with time. Those are two key things to know. And as hard as it is in the beginning, where you, 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 at least I remember thinking that my world will never feel right again. My world will never be without this horrible, horrible pain again. But the truth is, is that down the road, your world can be full of joy and beauty again. But it's not something that we're going to, you know, get over in a year. It takes time to find our way and to find what, you know, that 2.0 version of ourself, who that person is, and what does life look like. But I also believe very strongly that you have to be proactive and what I mean by that is that you have to do things that help you process your loss. It helps you to process your grief. And, you know, proactive things would be like going to support groups, uh, meeting other people who have shared your lost language. And, you know, for instance, like you um, you know, for other people who shared the same kind of loss that you do, it's it's just a, a unspoken language. And for people who lose a loved one to suicide, say, when they meet other people who've lost a loved one to suicide, they get each other. They speak that same loss language. So you've got to do things that help you put baby steps forward because baby steps are still 
progress, right? And, and so doing things to help you process your grief and doing things to help you, um, you know, at least get yourself out of bed every day will help you to find your way. And so if you don't do those things, it takes a lot longer to find your footing again in life. And I think it's important to, you know, not shy away from the grief to do things that are proactive to help you heal. Because if I can find the joy and beauty in life again, anybody can. It it can be done. And I, I want your listeners to know that, that there is hope. And even if they don't feel it today, at least open your heart to the idea that hope is around every corner, even if you've missed one. I want to jump all the way back to the beginning of our conversation and really quickly touch on the dream that you had about your daughter's death and kind of visit the idea of premonition and the relationship that you have with dreams now, things that come to you. Um, because hearing your story for the first time, I would be like, I would be very scared of going to sleep anymore, having dreams that were even remotely close to nightmares again, especially about people I loved. Um, so I'm curious as to how that's unfolded for you, both with her death and beyond. Well, the truth is, is that I feel like it was a heads up. And when the accident happened in real life, I had the honor of getting to sit with my daughter's body at the scene of the accident. And that was kind of happenstance. That's not, that doesn't normally happen. And I remember sitting there with her and all the first responders, law enforcement, firefighters, they took a step back and they formed a semicircle around me and no one stopped me. And they just observed those moments that I had with my daughter, those final moments. And I remember at some point, of course, time stands still, you know, when you're in shock, right? And you've got that, that warped sense of time. And so I don't know how long I sat there, but I remember at one point looking up into the dark field uh, in front of me and I saw my grandmother leading my daughter away. And my grandmother was someone that I had loved my whole life. I, I saw it just about every day of my life growing up. And it was very comforting for me to see that. And so in my mind, I'm thinking, okay, between that dream and between this vision of knowing that my grandmother's taken Allie to heaven, you know, this that brought me a lot of comfort. And so as scary as that dream was at the time, two years before the, the real uh, accident happened, um, it, in looking back, it's brought me comfort that it was a heads up, that this was meant to be, this was the path. And so I do not fear going to bed at night and dreaming. I did fear going to bed at night early on after the accident because that was when the house became quiet and I was lost in my own thoughts. There was nothing about chores or children or grandchildren to distract me. And that was a horrific time. But in terms of dreams, um, I've had quite a few dreams of Allie since then. And in every single one, she was, she's reminding me that this is our path and that she is here right beside me. And so they bring me tremendous comfort and I'm, I'm very grateful. That's such a neat transformation and perspective on it. And it just speaks to as well, how everyone interprets their experience in their own way. See, for me, something like that would be horrifying, but for you, it was comforting because you had the full scope and then your grandmother came in and and it was, you know, these people, you have this feeling that this is the path and this is the journey. And so it can provide you with different uh, expectations and different perspective on what dreams are and what they mean to you. Um, I want to move forward into seeing you and uh, being on board with you on the bereavement cruise in March. Uh, so if you could please enlighten our listeners as to what 
workshop you'll be teaching on board, uh, as well as maybe a little bit of how you got involved with the cruise in the first place. Well, I'm super excited because I've never been on a cruise. Oh, and, that is exciting. Uh, <laughs> and they promised me that I won't sink. Um, <laughs> uh, you know, my husband's been trying to get me on a cruise for some time. Um, I have a tendency toward seasickness. And so it's like, no, no, no. You know, we just fly wherever we need to go. We've been to Costa Rica. He's from Australia. So we've been there, of course, a few times. And, you know, wherever we need to go, we, we just fly. And so the idea of taking a, a, a ship, a boat, <laughs> was like, no. And so the, the cruise coordinators had been inviting me for a couple of years. And I'm like, no, no, no. And so... Uh, Glenn Lord and I were together in Arizona at the end of April or uh, February of this year. And there was a, a large group of us having dinner and Glenn, uh, once again, put it on the table and I, it must've been the glass of wine because I said, sure. <laughs> and so, um, and Linda Finley who founded this cruise is an incredible lady. I mean, she, you know, working alongside her, um, we coordinated event for the Parkland uh, students down in Florida this last May, she's such a gem of a person. And so, you know, going on this cruise and working alongside her and all the other wonderful speakers, uh, such as yourself, actually is going to be a real treat. And I will be giving um, two presentations and then a personal time. And that personal time is called Lady Time with Linda and Linda. And we refer, we refer to ourselves as the West Coast Linda and the East Coast Linda. She's on the East Coast, I'm on the West Coast. And so Lady Time is just a, a group setting for ladies only. And we can talk authentically and candidly without fear of, uh, you know, our husbands or partners in the room, our children in the room. Um, you know, it's just a time for us to talk about the challenges that we face as bereaved women. And that is going to be, I'm really looking forward to that because those are some of the most powerful uh, interactions and very healing for everyone. And then I will also be presenting Playbook of Hope, The Ten Tenets of Restoring Happiness, which I'm very excited about, as well as Hugs from Heaven. And, you know, interacting with Allie in heaven has been ongoing since the moment she passed. And it's not just me. Um, you know, I have a very large family and many people in our family have had experiences that are hard for even the naysayers to, you know, say, ah, that can't be. That's just a coincidence. And so um, I'm, I'm real excited to help people. I examine the different ways that our loved ones interact with us from heaven because it's very healing. And, you know, grief, it, it, it doesn't cure grief, but it can bring tremendous comfort. And that's what, that's what we're all doing is we are working together to offer comfort to those people who come on the cruise. And, you know, knowing many of the presenters already, anybody who joins us is going to create memories that they will cherish for life. And so I'm super excited. That's such a great collection of items. I'm like, this sounds like a good time. Like, let's do it. Anytime. <laughs> it will be. <laughs> it will be. And that's the thing about grief is that, you know, we're going to be doing a lot of laughing. It's not going to be, a, you know, seven nights on this five-star cruise ship where we're going to be sitting and crying. Grief is about experiencing many different emotions and laughter is a wonderful healing modality in itself. And so I'm a big fan of laughter and you can't get some of these people together. I've been with quite a few of them and there's a lot of laughter. We have a good time. <laughs> and that is what I want people who join us uh, take away from it that this was life-changing for them. You know, this, this is going to be life-changing and creating those memories that are filled with things that they will take forever and move forward with, you know, moments that they're going to treasure. And that is going to be a wonderful gift that we can give them. And I'm super excited about it. Very excited. So, yes, laughter is a big part of that. I'm excited about that. 
And there's this perception sometimes that like grief support is everybody sitting in a circle together and staring at each other until one of us cries. And I'm like, this is the exact, we're all all of us crying. Um, And this is the exact opposite of that. This is very much uh, a conversational experience, an interactive experience, and also one that's going to be full of um, remembering positive memories and creating new ones. So yeah, I'm very excited. As the date draws closer, I'm just like, vibrating with excitement because it's <laughs> it's going to be so much fun um we are going to raise the vibration of that whole cruise ship <laughs> no isn't that the coolest thing that's going to be the coolest yeah thing. i'm so excited. I'm very excited so linda before we sign off today can you tell everyone listening where they can find out more about you and your work and interact with you uh online or via email as well absolutely uh, my website is lindafell.com L-Y-N-D-A, F as in Fred, E-L-L.com. Grief Diaries is also that has uh, a lot of information. It has uh, radio shows, uh, YouTube videos, books, freebies, all kinds of stuff. And that is griefdiaries.com. And then also the International Grief Institute, which I co-founded last year with Glenn Lord, And that uh, is offering a growing catalog of classes and curriculum uh, for both uh, professional development and personal enrichment. And that is university.internationalgriefinstitute.com. And people can also find me on Facebook. I love interacting with people on Facebook. And that is Linda Sheldalenfell. And I have both a personal and a public profile on there and um, feel free to send me a friend request for both. Linda, I'm so honored to have had you on the podcast today and I have enjoyed experiencing Linda 2.0. So thank you for (laughs) reminding us that, um, that we are always becoming in the aftermath of grief. Grief is something that we take with us and um, helping others helps yourself. So yeah, lots of valuable lessons in our conversation today. Thank you. Oh, thank you for having me. I enjoyed it very much. And bless you for all that you're doing. So that's all for this episode of Coming Back. Thank you so, so much to fellow Bereavement Cruise presenter, Linda Sheldalyn Fell, for joining us on Coming Back today and sharing so many neat phrases and powerful truths about loss. Linda came back by noticing that she was not the only one suffering and by helping the people around her. You can find a link to Linda's website and the Grief Diaries book series in the show notes. Receive a week's worth of grief healing and workshops in the Western Caribbean on the 2019 Bereavement Cruise. Linda and I will both be teaching on board and you can do ladies night as well. (laughs) Request more information free at comingbackcruise.com. If this show has changed the way you see grief and loss, go to patreon.com slash Shelby where you can pledge for as little as $1 per month and get some very cool podcast rewards for doing so, including that monthly grief hangout on the holidays. Thank you to Karen, who became a new Patreon supporter this week. If you liked what you heard today on the podcast, you can also support this show by subscribing on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and by telling a friend about coming back, because you never know what someone you love is going through. Thank you to Mr. Addie Goldstein, who composed our theme music. You can find me on Facebook at Shelby Forsythia, Intuitive Grief Guide, Instagram at Grief Guide Shelby Forsythia, or simply shelbyforsythia.com. If you'd like to leave a question or comment for a future show, leave a voicemail or text 312-725-3043 or email me at shelby at shelbyforsythia.com. As always, my dear grief growers, it was beautiful sharing this space and time with you today. I see you. I am proud of you and the work that you're doing in the world. And I love you. Because even through grief, we are growing. We are growing.